So um, I just want to say a word of welcome. If you're new, today's your first Sunday with us here at Apostles. We're especially glad that you're here. Um, and to catch you up just a little bit, we are in a series on Romans. Hey, so glad you are going. Have fun. Uh, we're going through a series on uh, the book of Romans. And so I want to ask you to go ahead and grab a Bible uh, near you, maybe in the seat back near you. Uh, if you've got one on your phone, open it up to Romans chapter 7. Uh, ben did a great job of reading our, uh, our Romans passages this morning. As you could tell, it was kind of all over the place. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you've not been doing this, this is a good reminder to take up the practice of reading Romans on your own. Uh, we're doing it in life groups. I encourage you to do that in your own time with the Lord. Be reading through Romans. So read chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 because uh, it was more than we could cover this morning, but I wanted uh, at least to kind of hit some highlights. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of a 30,000-foot uh, flyover of some of the major themes and at least one key theme that I want to highlight as we go through this book of, uh, of Romans together that's really focused in on, on Romans 6 and 7. So you're going to want 6 and 7 open in front of you. And uh, I want to actually read a passage we didn't touch on from Romans chapter 7 because uh, I find this passage to be one of the most intriguing and fascinating uh, words that Paul ever shares in any of his letters. Uh, and this begins in Romans uh, 7.21. So if you want to look there, this is where we're at, Romans 7.21. This is what he says. He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Now, the answer to his question that he ends with is, of course, Jesus Christ. Jesus will rescue us from sin and death. Praise God. And so it leads us to Jesus. So one day, and we, talked about, we, we touched on this in uh, the reading from Luke, right? The, 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 this is what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. Mary says, I know one day that you're going to come. The resurrection will be at the end of the judgment. All things, all that's going to happen. But Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And so the answer, of course, is who will rescue us from this body of death, the sin? It's Jesus. So one day Jesus will do that completely. And this world will will end this world that's marred by sin and, uh, and death, and we will be able to live free from sin in the new heavens and the new earth and bodies not subject to death uh, and decay and to sin. And so again, praise God for that. But I love this passage. I love this passage because as a follower of Jesus, I can relate to this. And I don't know if you can relate to this. This description of this, what he describes as a war within, this battle within, I have Jesus, right? You're a follower of Christ. If that's you, you're a follower of Jesus. You have him. You're, you're, you're hungry for his word. You're seeking him in prayer and worship. You're, you're, you're serving. You're giving. You're, 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 you're devoting your life to Jesus. And yet, and yet, more times than I would care to admit, if you're anything like me, <laughs> uh, I don't do the things that I should do, and I do the things I shouldn't do, right? And so I love that the apostle Paul Right, the Apostle Paul says this. The Apostle Paul says this, that there's this tension within him. And so often when I encounter this, I, I, if I'm totally honest, one of the things I struggle with is this question, well, what's wrong with me? 
Why can't I get it right? Why do I keep messing it up? Right? And, you know, and you can follow that path down a lot of guilt and shame if you want to. But I think it, it's just fascinating to me that Paul, Paul articulates this. And, and there's some debate about, is he talking about before he met Christ or after he met Christ? I'm inclined to think it's after he came to faith in Christ because experientially and then basically the testimony of the New Testament as Paul and others talk about what it's like to follow Jesus, they talk about it as a fight. It's a battle. And so I, I can connect with this. I can relate to this. But, but I think what this helps me do is kind of enter into these chapters of 6 and 7 and say, okay, well, what help does Paul then offer conflicted saints like us who have this war going on? We love Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. And yet I do the things I don't want to do. And I do things. I, what's wrong? Help me understand Paul. And so Paul is going to talk about how we can approach this uh, as followers of Jesus. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about his approach in this. Paul uses very powerful and provocative language to address this reality. Paul says this problem, part of what's going on here is it's a slavery issue. Now, we get nervous right away, right? And I understand, but I don't want us to miss the point of what Paul is going to say here by bringing this very provocative and powerful language around slavery to the foreground. In verse 6, look what he says. This is chapter 6, verse 6. He says, we have been what? Slaves to sin. He says that repeatedly in numerous ways. Verse 14, he says it again. He talks about the dominion that Christ has overcome, the dominion sin has over all of us. Christ has overcome that. He also says in verse 22, though, and this is where it gets really interesting, but now that you have been set free from sin, from the slavery of sin, you have become what? Slaves to God. Slaves to God. What in the world is Paul talking about? Why is Paul choosing, in other words, to use the language of slavery to talk about our relationship to God? Isn't God love? Isn't God freedom? Isn't God the God who invites us to know him and fullness of life with him for eternity? How does that connect with God and our slavery to God? Does anybody else, does that bother anybody else? If we really start thinking through, what, is, what does that mean to be a slave to God? And so I think understanding why Paul wants to talk about Christ in these terms will be really helpful. It'll help us understand what it means to be slaves to sin and help us understand what it means to be slaves to God. And despite what it may sound like, what Paul actually says here is that being a slave to God is freedom. It actually is freedom. It's worth noting, though, I think, uh, and again, I love this about Paul. He says in verse 19, he acknowledges that the way he's talking about this, it's, it's, it's a little tricky. He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, Paul knows that talking about life in Christ with the language of slavery doesn't fully capture the beauty and the breadth and the depth of life with God. But he is convinced that it's necessary. Why does he think it's necessary? He thinks it's necessary because of the absolute and radical shift that takes place in the lives of those who put their faith in Christ to go from slavery to sin to slavery to God. And so he wants to highlight for us. So Paul believes that seeing life in terms of slavery to sin or to God is critical to our discipleship in Jesus. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't have talked about it this way. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to highlight two truths that I think Paul's conviction uh, is kind of rooted in or based on, and then three very brief encouragements for saints who are fighting the battle within. Okay, so two convictions from Paul and then three brief encouragements. So the first conviction is this, that to be free in Christ, we must die to sin. To be free in Christ, we must die to sin. At the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul has declared the gospel. That's what we read just a few minutes ago, the gospel. Now, the law came to increase the trespass. In other words, God gave the law almost like a mirror so we could see the, the fullness of sin and what it actually is and what it actually does. But where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So grace upon grace upon grace. There's never... A run, it never runs out. God's grace never runs out in response to sin. Grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what had happened is some people read that, heard Paul teaching this, and they thought that what Paul's saying is that grace makes our sin ultimately inconsequential. They were misunderstanding. The argument that was being made is, well, if more sin means more grace, and we're right with God by grace through what Christ has done, then what difference does it make if we do anything wrong? What difference does it make if we sin? It's all covered by grace. That was, that was the argument. And Paul, what does he say in response to that? By no means. Okay, so if you've, read, if you've been reading Romans, that's, he, he loves saying that. By no means. He kind of puts up this question, and then he responds. By no means. Paul says, that doesn't make sense. Why does that not make sense? Why does that understanding of what he's teaching not make sense? And he comes at it with a question. He says, because how can we who died to sin now live in it? How can we who died to sin now live in it? Now, I think we'll come to an understanding of why he asked that question. But I think before we can, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to die to sin? What is Paul saying when he says die to sin? When Paul says we've died to sin, here's what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that followers of Jesus will never struggle with sin again. That is not what he means. That, you know, sin, you're done, game over, now I'm free from sin, died to sin, and I'm good to go. The truth is that if that was the case, much of the New Testament and Paul's writings would make absolutely no sense <laughs> because they're filled with exhortations to resist our proclivity to sin, and what Paul often calls desires of the flesh. And so as Christians, we still have this fight, this fight against sin. That's why he says what he says in Romans chapter 7. So what does he mean that we have died to sin? Here, death to sin means death to life under the guilt and condemnation of sin. Okay, Death to sin what he's talking about, death to sin, it means death to an existence, a reality, a life under the guilt and condemnation of sin. So I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this part of chapter six. And I just wanna read it to you because I think he makes it clear kind of what that means. He says, our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin miserable life no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. 
We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin, he says, and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Dead to sin means freedom. Freedom from all that we were under in the realm of sin, in the kingdom of darkness, under Satan and evil. You are dead to that. That is not who you are. That is not where you reside any longer. You are free from guilt and the condemnation of sin. In other words, it's been nailed to the cross. That has been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. That's the song. That's the hymn. It's been nailed to the cross in a way I don't fully understand. Jesus, we just read it. Paul says, died, and when he died, our sin died with him. And so, In Christ, we've been resurrected, reborn, washed, made new, made whole, freed from guilt and shame, past, present, and future. And so praise God. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. This is the truth. That is the gift that we have received in Christ because Christ put sin to death on the cross. He said, it is finished, and it is. There's victory over sin. And so to be free in Christ... We must die to sin. So that's the first thing. And then second, we must reckon ourselves, Paul says, reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So Paul says in verse 11 that we must reckon ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. So to reckon means to consider. Uh, It means uh, to uh, think in terms of something that we have been given or that we understand to be true or we think about ourselves. And so when he says to be reckoned to the fact that we are dead to sin, he is saying we must believe it. We must believe it because what we believe will actually shape who we are and how we live. Now, this doesn't mean we try to convince ourselves of something that's true. Uh, what he's saying is if, if we believe, then uh, if we believe in what is true, it is true in our lives. We believe it because it is true, not that our belief makes it true. It's not just wishful thinking, in other words. The reality is that we are dead to sin, that Jesus has settled the score, that our debt has been paid, that our old life has ended. It is in the grave. It is dead. It is buried. That's true, and we have to reckon with that. We have to come to terms with that. We have to understand that that is what is True. So here's where I think that becomes difficult. I think a lot of us, as followers of Jesus, at different moments and different seasons, a lot of us really struggle um, to believe that. We really struggle to reckon with that. I think a lot of Christians like to visit their own grave. I think we like to go back and we we like to see who we used to be and we kind of mess around with that from time to time. We've put our faith in him, but we've not reckoned, we've not fully grasped yet that truth 
that sin is dead. And we keep going back to that old, dead, sinful self. We keep revisiting. Another way to think about it is that we're like prisoners who've been told we're free. So we are free. The cell doors are open, and yet we won't walk out of the cell. There's truth to it, but we haven't kind of lived into it. We haven't reckoned to it. Christians whose lives are not dominated by a sense of freedom in Christ, but rather dominated by guilt and shame over their sin. There's no experience of grace. There's no reckoning of it, in other words. They've not reckoned themselves free from sin. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about this, and the story that came to mind um, was actually the story of the prodigal son. I've been, I've been kind of meditating on that a lot lately, and the Lord's been ministering to me through it. And if you remember the story of the prodigal son, the son goes to the father, and he rejects the father, he rebels against the father, he takes his inheritance, he runs off, and he goes to a far, far off country, and he basically, he, he, he embraces life of sin, a life of sin. That's what he's doing. Uh, and as he's doing that, he comes to his senses at some point. He's been living in this slavery of sin, and he comes to his senses and says, why am I doing this? There's a father who loves me, and I would be welcome in his home. I should get up and go back to my father. And on the way, this is why I thought of this, on the way, I don't know if you remember in the story, he begins to rehearse what he's going to say to his dad, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever had to have our conversation, and in the car, you're like, okay, I'm going to say this, and this is how it's going to go. So he's doing that, and he, he's coming to his, his father, and, and what he's saying in his head is, I, I, I'm going to say this, how many of my father's hired servants or have more than enough bread? How many of them never perish from hunger? I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so just treat me as a hired servant. Just treat me as a hired servant. And if you remember in the story, what happens when he gets there? When he gets there, he starts his speech, right? But what's the line he never gets to? He never gets to that line. Lord, just make me like one of the hired servants in your house. And I thought about that because I thought, man, I think sometimes in our walk with Jesus, we never, we, we never let God just embrace us. We have to stop. I mean, this would be like the prodigal son says to the father when he gets back, thanks for the party and the ring and embracing me and the kiss and like, thank you. But I didn't finish my speech. Okay. So let me just finish what I was going to say, because this is what I was going to say. I was going to say, treat me like one of your hired servants. And so I'm just going to live in the house. I'm being in the house, right? I'm I'm in the house by grace. You let me come home. And yet I I need to kind of work through things where I, you know, I have a lot of guilt and shame about being this far off country. I need to work through all that. And I don't want face to face with you. It's going to be really hard for me right now. So just let me do this. And then maybe one day we'll get to that point where we can all, we can kind of be back where we were. And and I, I think that's what happens sometimes when we don't reckon We don't reckon the reality that we are actually dead to sin and that we are alive in Christ, that we actually have come home to the Heavenly Father. And it's not just grace that gets us in, it's grace that maintains us and keeps us alive in Christ. As Paul talks about sanctification and eternal life, it's all of that. It's not just grace to get in the door and then we have to make sure we stay in. And so I think there's this this dynamic in our life where we have to come, we have to come to this understanding of the truth of God's grace. He wants us, Paul wants us to reckon to that, 
that when we receive this gift of salvation as a beloved, forgiven child of God, we're set free from the slavery of sin and death. And in a sense, we are taken captive. We are made slaves to God by the love of God, by the love of the Father. It's this embrace of the wayward son. We are made slaves to God. And so here's Paul's point, I think, in, in this, is that all human beings are slaves to something or someone. We all are slaves to something or someone. And then Paul really boils it down to one of two things. There's only two options. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. You're one of those two. And to be free from one, he's saying, is actually to be the slave to the other. And it works both ways. So there's this paradox at work. He, 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 says, he says there's this paradox. For him, slavery is freedom and freedom is slavery. And so that he can declare without any confusion this Incredible statement, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God because that's what's happened to us. Slavery to God means freedom, freedom from guilt and shame, freedom to experience true intimacy with our creator, our heavenly father, freedom to choose holiness, to live in joy of the eternal life in Christ that we have. It is freedom unto life with God for the glory of God. That's what we have as slaves to God. So, just want to touch on those two things. To be free in Christ, we must die to sin, and we each have to reckon ourselves dead to sin and actually alive to Christ. All right, so three encouragements. I just want to end with these very briefly. Three encouragements to, to help us live as slaves to God. The first one is this. Believe your death to sin has happened and happens every day. Believe that your death to sin has happened and happens every day. John Stott writes this in his commentary on Romans. He says, on the one hand, we have been crucified with Christ, and on the other, we must crucify our sinful nature with all its desires every day. We have died to the penalty of sin, and now we must die to the power of sin. And so what that means is every day, every day we wake up and we thank God for the cross. Every day we wake up and we thank God for the cross, and every day we bring ourselves to the foot of the cross and we cry out for mercy and forgiveness every day. It's happened once and it happens every day. And so if you wanna die to sin in your life, that's where you begin, the cross, every day. Second, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Three encouragements to live slaves to Christ. First, believe your death has happened and happens every day. The second, remember who you are. In a way, following Jesus is reminding ourselves every day of who we are. It's remembering that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. It's remembering that we have received grace upon grace, that we are loved by God, that we're set free from guilt and shame, that we are a new person, reborn, that we are beloved sons and daughters, that sin no longer has our allegiance, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, that in the power of the Spirit, we can fight off old sinful desires and reject the lies of the enemy, and that even when we fall, it only reminds us of our need for Christ and leads us to repentance and grace and praise. And so if we remember who we are, then we can navigate this life as slaves to God. Third thing, allow ourselves to be captivated by Jesus. Allow ourselves to be captivated by Jesus. If we want to be free from sin, both its guilt and power, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12.1. Let me just end here with a quote from a great book I highly recommend um, from uh, John Piper. It's called, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. Um, And in this book, he's talking about this 
importance of seeing Jesus and being captivated by him. And this is, this is what he says. He says, we must fight to see the glory of God. For seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel, we are changed. Not first externally, but internally. It is the awakening of joy in Christ, in himself, in all that God has for us in him. It is the awakening of a new taste for spiritual reality centering in Christ. It is the capacity for a new sweetness and a new enjoyment of the glory of God and the word of God. There's nothing more important in our lives than to behold the glory of the Lord. And the battle against sin and the battle for joy is the battle to see, to behold the glory of Christ and become enthralled with his beauty above all. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are the one who has delivered us from our slavery to sin, that by grace, through faith, and what you have done on the cross, we have been moved from death to life. And so we give you thanks and we give you praise. And Lord, we we pray that you would help us to live as slaves to you. Lord, because slavery to you is true freedom. It's, It's living under your grace. It's living in your truth. It's living life with you for eternity. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to become slaves to God, or that we would see the cross and see it daily. Lord, that we would understand who we are in light of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord Jesus, that we would gaze upon Jesus, that we would behold his glory and be enthralled with his beauty. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.